Grab your Bibles. Turn with me to Acts 18. We've got a little bit to finish up before the end of the chapter. And as we do that, I'll ask the Lord for his blessing. Now, Heavenly Father, we just take a moment to quiet our hearts before a passage that is very convicting, very profound, and kind of very everyday Christian life. It's so important, Lord, for us to pay attention and be able to put into practice these truths. And so we ask your blessing. Lord, open our eyes and our hearts. Soften our wills, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, what do you think about this statement? Would you agree with it? Most people do not enjoy being corrected. (laughs) Not our favorite uh, pastime, I would say, maybe an understatement. Uh, There's just something about it that irritates us. We totally and quite naturally resist uh, this correction, and it's something that oftentimes brings out strange and adverse reactions in us. Now, the other night, I was watching a Food Network cooking competition. There's a lot of them out there now. And there was a panel of judges and several contestants who just served up their hot, delicious food to be judged. And it was one guy's turn to be evaluated. And the first judge said, it's slightly under-seasoned. And he said, "Uh, I don't agree. It became very belligerent, right? The next judge next to him, these are expert people, chefs upon chefs, right? And the next chef next to him said, "Uh, did you taste your food? Because it was really bland. And he goes, "Uh uh-huh. No, it wasn't. I did that on purpose. That's the way I like it. That's the way I planned it. It came out perfectly. The third judge said, I would agree with judge one and two. It just needed a little zip. It was just kind of flat. And he's still shaking his head, no. The fourth one chimes in and said, I don't know why you're shaking your head because we know what we're talking about. I agree with all three of them. And he started to cry. And just said, I just don't agree with you, okay? All right? (laughs) And And he said, I stand by this dish. Well, the, then a pan you know, view of all the other contestants with the look on their face like, keep talking, buddy, keep talking. <laughs> you know, they're one step closer. You know. So you know, um, can you imagine how he handles more weightier issues in life than you just needed a pinch of salt or something? Wow. You know, uh, that was a really immature reaction. Um, And we're all kind of big babies like that. (laughs) Hashtag, let's be real. (laughs) Now, whether it's the way we speak or the way we drive or how we do our job or how we cook or how we make life choices or perhaps a fact that we hold on to that needs correction, Uh, We don't handle correction very well. It's not something that is our strong point. Now, why is that? I I would say there's first one word for sure, pride, ego. You know, we get embarrassed, right? 
We get embarrassed. It's like, uh, man, you call me on the carpet? Now, 10 million people know. Here I'm a chef, and I don't know how to put salt in the meal. So I'm going to lose because not that my food was bad, but because, duh, I don't salt and pepper my own food. Come on. Right? So that's what's fueling the tears and the anger and the frustration. It's not that it's not true. It's that he has a hard time receiving it because it makes him look stupid. And who wants to look stupid? You know, bottom line is that we, I think, and just my personal opinion, that we all have a toddler living inside of our hearts. (laughs) We all have a toddler inside of our hearts just waiting for the opportunity to say, you're not the boss of me. (laughs) (laughs) You're not the boss of me, right? Well, that said, when correction is well-received, it really reveals humility and great character. Being teachable is one of the most essential qualities in becoming spiritually mature. We're disciples. The word means learner. You cannot learn if you're not corrected. So in this lifetime, we are learning. That means we desperately need the correction so that we can grow to be who we are. Well, you've probably guessed now that the paragraph that awaits you has something to do with correction. Well, you would be right. This invaluable character quality, being teachable, is going to be modeled for us this morning as we continue on the missionary journey here in Ephesus with the introduction of a very great man of God, Apollos, who needs to be corrected. Let's finish up chapter 18, starting at verse 23. Now, uh, just for context, 23, we pick up at 24. After spending some time in Antioch, Paul now setting out third missionary journey, setting out from there, and traveled from place to place throughout the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples, the learners. Verse 24. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. He was a learned man with a thorough knowledge of the scriptures. He had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. When Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. Hmm. When Apollos wanted uh, later to go to Achaia, Achaia, the brothers encouraged him, wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. On arriving, now that's Corinth, by the way, He was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted the Jews in public debate, proving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ. Okay, we're going to park there this morning, because believe it or not, there's a lot to talk about in this couple paragraphs. Uh, So we're going to talk about the need for correction 
and the way to give correction and the way to receive. And so you're gonna find those thoughts in this passage with me. First, I always like, you know, the maps, right? So let's remind ourselves where we are in the Mediterranean on now. The third missionary journey started in verse 23, all right? So what happened is Paul finished second missionary journey and went back home to the sending church at Antioch, Syria, right there. And he stayed for just a short while, he rested up, and guess what? There's a world to save. So he's off again. And this time now our text brings us to about this area where Paul is ministering perhaps to the church at Galatia and he Phrygia, that area. But remember last uh, missionary journey, he started a work in Ephesus and he left Priscilla and Aquila there who no doubt have started their tent making ministry, opened up their home. Commentators say they are well to do. And so they have carried on the work there. There's a church there. And your text says Paul is on the way from here to Ephesus. And he will uh, arrive there. But meanwhile, before Paul gets there, the Holy Spirit introduces a guy who beat Paul there. His name is Apollos, and we're going to see. Now, for the next chapter, chapter 19, it's all about right here, modern day, we have a slide, modern day Turkey, Ephesus, all right? So I apologize for the pixelation there, but this is Turkey, right? And so Ephesus is here. Paul will spend the most time he spends anywhere here, discipling. He's already been for a little short time, second missionary journey. Now he's come back. He's not quite back, he's on his way. And the Holy Spirit says, hey, we wanna introduce Apollos and something that happened there that, that says a lot about who Apollos is, who uh, Aquila and Priscilla are, and the need for correction. And so we're gonna take a look at that. Just, here's modern day Ephesus, modern day in the background, but the ruins of that ancient city are there. I had the privilege of going there in 1999. I walked that street right there. Just wonderful place. And we went to the seven churches of Asia. We will find out that from Ephesus, Paul and the team evangelizes the area so that the other six churches of Revelation have as their mother church, the church of Ephesus. And so it's a really a grand city. 300,000 people are real bustling city, and so Paul's going to spend up to three years uh, there. Meanwhile, the Apostle Paul comes in, and thank you for that picture. The Apostle Paul is uh, Apostle Apollos. <laughs> thank you for the look. Sometimes your looks just <laughs> cue me, whoops, I had a misstatement there. Talk about correction. <laughs> Apollos is introduced here. Now, just real quick before we get started, I really enjoy seeing how the, some of the things that are mentioned in the epistles are bearing themselves out in the book of Acts. So here, Apollos is, is coming to Ephesus before Paul gets there. But Paul had already planted, left. Apollos comes in and waters on top of what Paul planted. And now when Paul arrives, in Acts 19, it's coming. Apollos goes to Corinth, where Paul had just been. So this is the, the pattern of the New Testament, is that they are 
planting and watering and harvesting and planting and watering on each other's. And that's why Paul says to the Corinthians, hey, I planted, Apollos watered. It's like, oh, I see that. That's happening here in the book of Acts. It's just kind of neat to see that come together. Now, who is this Apollos? Let's get his credentials first. So if you're taking notes, Apollos credentials. Well, wow, it's a big list. Well, first of all, he's a nice Jewish boy, all right? And he says he's a nice Jewish boy from a very famous city, number two city in the Roman Empire, Alexandria, all right? Rome, number one, Alexandria, number two. Uh, Alexander the Great used to boast about the library there. It had 700,000 volumes. And so there was nothing like the universities there, the education. It was a, a large city, 600,000 people. And so it was a, a, a big, significant city, the capital of Egypt. And that's where he's from. Apparently, the gospel got to Alexandria and he got saved. Now, uh, in the scripture since birth as a Jew and educated at the Harvard or the Oxford of the world, right? This guy is impressive. The first thing it says about him in verse 24 is that he's in the NIV learned, all right? The Greek word is logios, which means skilled in words or history, or it really means to be a scholar, or an academic person, or a professor, or somebody who's just plain eloquent because of his high education. So, so getting the picture here. It says then, again, in that verse, he had a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, which is kind of bland. It needs a little more seasoning, all right? <laughs> you remember the introduction, or uh, you've been there, forgot that. Right, okay, that's okay. I'm down with that. Uh, in the King James, it says closer to the Greek. The Greek word for thorough knowledge of the scriptures is do not toss, where we get the word dynamite. So King James, shout out to King James Version. It says mighty in the scriptures. Think about that, all right? So here, just start layering a picture of this guy, all right? He's mighty in the scriptures. Verse 25 says, he spoke with great fervor. The Greek word for fervor there is zeo, to boil. He's boiling with zeal and passion for God. Just hot. And then right from the altars of heaven, I mean, as it were. In verse 26, it says, he spoke boldly. The Greek word there, it means unharnessed, unleashed, unfettered. So he just gave it his all, nothing holding back. This man who is educated to the brim, he has a dynamite command, a masterful grasp of the scriptures, and he's an orator. He's an orator. Paul the apostle said, okay, because the Corinthians are big babies, all right? Uh, <laughs> they say, they're, they're saying, I like Apollos better than Paul. And so Paul wrote to them and said, okay, I'm not as eloquent as some of your favorites, Apollos, but I have knowledge. So, so he was a better speaker than the apostle Paul. And the problem with the Corinthians is they played favorites. You know, some said, hey, I like the apostle Peter. Come on. 
lead disciple. He's seen Jesus. He's my favorite. The other said, Apollos. Can you, when you're sitting listening to Apollos, you're not even breathing, man, you know? And then somebody say, what about Paul, man? None of us would be here without Paul. He planted the church. And so, and then some said, you know what? You're all unspiritual. We follow Christ, you know? <laughs> Those sometimes are the harder ones in the group, all right? Because we, we do have the Lord as the chief shepherd, but he says in 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2, we are under shepherds, called to be under shepherds, right? And, and so that just shows you that, uh, that even his gift was pro- uh, probably a cause of a little bit divisiveness in Corinth. Oh, we're not done with him. He's spot on in his teaching about Jesus. Uh, Your verse says he taught accurately about Jesus. Okay, so you get the picture. This guy, wow. You know, I I remember sitting at the pastor's retreat at Hume Lake, Pastor Rick Countryman. He got up and masterfully preached the most profound message that I honestly, uh, my mouth was open. It felt like God himself was speaking into my soul and I was just spellbound the whole message. It's like taking a guy like that and Billy Graham and Charles Spurgeon and putting them all into one package and you've got this guy, Apollos, and he comes up on the platform and you're just like, Feed me, speak to me, use your gift. And that's just a wonderful thing. So we've seen Apollos' credentials. Now we're going to see his correction. If you're taking notes, his correction. Is there anything more important in the Christian life than a teachable spirit? Somebody wrote, to be a lifelong disciple is to be a lifelong learner. And if we are a lifelong learner, we must get used to being corrected. For me, if Paul the Apostle can say in Philippians chapter three and verse 12, hey, I, I haven't arrived. I'm not perfect. He said, I, I'm, I'm in process. I'm stretching, I'm straining forward, but I'm definitely not whole and complete. You know, he tells the Corinthians, he says, who is weak and I don't have my struggles with sin? You know, so I'm okay with being weak and broken and needing correction because uh, You know who doesn't need correction this morning? Patty Kelsey. She doesn't need a word of correction. Why? Because she now knows as she is fully known. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 says, When I see him face to face, I will know as in the same way that God fully knows. Wow. Completed. Not until the dying breath. We're not complete until the dying breath and the transformation. So, Apollos had it going on. He's a champion of Christianity, but he didn't have the whole picture. And verse 25 tells you what his problem was. He only knew the baptism of John. Now, what does that mean? Well, I'm going to tell you, and I'm glad you asked. (laughs) This guy could take you from your sins to Jesus in 10 seconds. This guy could paint a picture using the Passover in such a wonderful, gifted way that you get the whole gospel right there and you are on the platform before you can even give an altar call. This is what he's good at. 
He's good at using the law and stirring up your need as a sinner and condemnation and bringing you like John the Baptist did to Christ for repentance. But that's where it stopped. It stopped there. He only had half the story. He only had half the message. You want to hear something like John the Baptist? This is John the Baptist style. You brood of snakes. (laughs) Who warned you to flee from the coming wrath? Produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And don't even say to yourself, we're Jews. We don't need a savior. We have Abraham as our father. Well, I'll tell you the truth that God could raise up from stones children to Abraham if he wanted to. And he goes on from there. He says, every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. John the Baptist, oh, I want Jesus. I need to be saved, (laughs) right? But every Sunday, oh, the first time Priscilla and Aquila heard that, they were like, oh. Yes. Oh, he knows every last messianic promise in the Old Testament, and he uses it with skill and passion, and he's boiling over. But where's the rest of the story? Now, you could go into some churches, and you could get saved every single Sunday, because that's all he talks about, right? That's good for people coming in, and it makes a bunch of, uh, a lot of people very good at soul winning. Right? But what about the Christian life and walking in the Holy Spirit and resisting temptation? What about our spiritual gifts? What about marriages and families and parents and children and employers and employees? The Bible talks about this. How about paying my taxes and government and all of this? Spiritual warfare. Apollos, come on. You got us through the door. Now now help us to walk in life, in the Holy Spirit. Paul, Apollos missing, he's got a deficiency. He's doing everything he knows how to do. But somebody needs to, to say, hey, Apollos, have you read Acts chapter two? Oh yeah, it hasn't been printed yet, but <laughs> <clears throat> let us talk to you. Turn or burn is part of the message, but it's not all the message. Jesus said turn or burn. Sorry. He told uh, John chapter 8, if you don't believe me, verse 24. He says to the Pharisees, I told you, if you do not believe that I am who I claim to be, you will die in your sins. But then Jesus goes on, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, to tell us how to live and to walk with God. Here's how to deal with your lust. Here's how to deal with your rage. Here's how to get right with your brother. Here's how to build a foundation for your life that when the winds and the rains come, here's how to walk with God. Here's how to think about God. The prodigal son coming back and the father running and loving on him, kissing him. Ah, that's part B. Apollos just had part A. He didn't know about the new life so much. So he needed to be counseled. Now, Paul, the apostle, says to the Ephesians later in this very book, he says, I never shrunk back from proclaiming to you the full counsel of God. Ah, that's what Apollos needs. And every pastor 
The full council tells the whole story, right? Not just your favorite stories, not just your favorite texts, not just your favorite topical sermons. Start, open a book, chapter one, and go through the Bible and teach the Bible. Then, you, uh, then you'll have healthy sheep because they're getting the whole picture sooner or later. Line upon line, precept upon precept, right? That's the Calvary Chapel way. That's the number one reason I am drawn to Calvary Chapel. Every denomination has their weakness. Everybody. There's no such thing as a perfect church. If you find one, please don't go because then it won't be perfect anymore. (laughs) (laughs) You handled that so well. (laughs) Line upon line, precept upon precept, and that's what he was missing. So the husband and the wife, after what? The fourth sermon about come to Jesus, they're elbowing each other. What are we going to do? They pray about it. They say, ah, we got, somebody's got to talk to him. And so they decide it's going to be him. Now, uh, it's going to be them, rather. Now, listen, some qualifications regarding correction. Is it something substantial that really needs to be addressed? Can you justify the correction by looking at the word? All right, or is it just nitpicking or your personal opinion or something like that? Because that's, that's not what we're talking about here. So if you're a person who likes to find fault, uh, uh, I don't think this is going to be helpful to you because we're not talking about you justifying your fault finding by looking at these truths here. We're talking about appropriate biblical correction and, and uh, some other things you could think about is knowing who it is and what it is, will, will matters be made worse or better by me bringing the correction? So they looked around and said, hey, <laughs> this guy's preaching doesn't have the full story. That was pretty important, right? Number two, is he the kind of guy that would accept and value some correction or a word of, to the wise? Yeah, they said yes. He is, it's important, let's do this, and they do it in the right way. Now, Gordon Franz from BibleArchaeology.org has a really funny thing about how not to go to the pastor, all right? Aquila and Priscilla are good models, all right? So watch. He said, and I quote, Aquila and Priscilla did not have roast preacher for lunch that day. Instead, they made homemade pie and brought it to him on a silver platter because the book of Proverbs says a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in settings of silver. You get my point, he writes. They did not take him home and say, that was a stupid sermon. (laughs) Don't you know your Bible? Don't you know what happened after John the Baptist? Don't you know about the Holy Spirit? No, they brought him home, showed him hospitality by feeding him a good meal and then gently and lovingly explained to him the way of God more accurately. By the way, explaining the way more accurately in the Greek, it means to fill someone in on something. So two insights, really. Uh, A godly way to correct and a godly way to receive. All right, the godly way to correct. So they decide we're not going to undermine his ministry, right? 
We're not going to embarrass the guy, right? They're not going to stand up or, or worse yet, you know, whisper next to somebody and just say, oh, what are they teaching in the seminaries these days? He doesn't even know the whole gospel. Or, you know, worse yet, some other kind of things about his character or he doesn't know what he's talking about or all of that. One writer said, which is worse, a man trying his best and falling short or lips that undermine and cause dissension? Well, a spoonful of sugar helps the medicine go down, <laughs> right? So there's this one kid, a hundred years ago, no one knows who I'm talking about. He says, so Pastor Ross, in today's sermon, you said Proverbs 3.5, but it's actually Proverbs 5.3. And I said, oh, I hate when I do that. And he goes, listen, you know what I could do? I could, the next time you do it, <clears throat> I can stand up and just kind of interrupt and just say, hey, that, that actually is 3.5, not 5.3. Would you, would you like me to do that? And at first I paused just to see Am I on candy camera? <laughs> I just want to see if he smiled afterwards, right? There, there was no smile. He was waiting for an answer, a yes or no. Does that sound good to you? And I said, you know, I'll pass this time. <laughs> no, you know, tell me afterwards. You don't have to stand up and tell me at the time. But there's a way, a way to correct. Now listen. Two weeks ago, I'm on the elliptical. I listen to podcasts while I'm working out. And I listen to apologetic websites, new age watchdog kind of sites that, that warn the church about things coming in. And on this show, they're interviewing the guy who wrote Another Jesus Calling to, refu to refute Jesus Calling. I had never heard of the book. And so two experts who both come out of New Age were talking line per line about this book that I'd never heard about, ever. On the way home, I texted Caitlin. And I said, Caitlin, do you have this book? A lot of women like it, I guess. She said, yeah, I do. That's the only person I knew in the whole church or the whole world who had the book. So I come in guns blazing. Last week, I did not know that there are many women, mostly, who have the book, who have given it as presents. And had I known that, I would never come up here two guns blazing and mess with women in the congregation. <laughs> are you out of your mind, Pastor? Are you just out of your mind? You come in and just say, listen, you know me. I'm not afraid to talk to you about anything. But there's a way to do it. Had, honestly, had I known there was one woman in the church who had given it to their children, and their children, she just told, told me this, their children were sitting while I was doing that. And she gave them all the book. And she said, thank you for doing that. It was difficult, but necessary. And she's here with a smile. But I made it harder than necessary by the two guns blazing. Because I didn't stop to think, well, what, what if? But in my defense, <laughs> I did not know. 
one of you, only one I knew, was Caitlin. I'm so glad to be able to tell you that. Are my concerns any different? No, my heart is on fire about that thing. I'm sorry. Uh, you can go to the website. There are blogs and things that you can see. I don't want to talk about it anymore. <laughs> I really don't. Uh, uh, but I apologize. If I were you sitting there and I had done that, I, w- I would have just like, really, Pastor? Really? They were my Christmas presents, you know? Right, so I appreciate uh, the grace of the response, you know. We all need to be corrected, including me. And with that said, the godly way to correct, right there. Um, uh, Chapter 15, verse 32. But whoever heeds correction gains understanding. Did I get that one right? Good, good, good. It's a correction is a good thing for all involved. So evidenced by Apollos' uh, spirit-filled ministry after this, we can see he received it uh, very well. It's really saying a lot. And uh, can I help you to really understand the significance of the character of Apollos by listing his credentials one more time? These guys are tent makers. They're, they're, they're lay people in the congregation. He's been schooled in Alexandria. Okay, this is how I picture it could have gone bad. Knowing how sinful we all are and how insecure and broken everybody is, here's how it could have gone. He could have seen it coming there on the, at the living room uh, time of dessert. And he could have seen it, the three nice things they were saying, and then he could hear it, but however, coming. And I could imagine him saying something like, okay, Defensive, right? Now now he says, excuse me, but which seminary did you say you graduated from? Oh, you haven't gone to the seminary. Have you been to Bible college? Have you taken any courses at all? Nothing. All right. Oh, and by the way, Aquila, what was the name of that tiny little village you're from again? I forget. You know, have you guys been to Alexandria? Oh, yeah, no. And so did you notice that I have three degrees, right? Last night, while I was having dinner with the Apostle Paul, my best friend, <laughs> Peter came in, and then John behind him, and we had a really good talk and prayer time. And what were you doing last night? None of that. You know why? Because that's evil. All caps, E-V-I-L. That is so wicked. To intimidate people just because you're so insecure, you can't handle it, you know, and so you have to come out and strike out like that. He didn't do that. Instead, he opens up, what does he say? He says, hey, talk to me. What? What? Oh, man, I knew something was missing. Of course. Oh, pray for me. Lay your hands on me. I want the fullness of the Holy Spirit because he's a learner. Proverbs 10, 17. He's smart cookie. He who, he who heeds discipline shows the way to life, 
but whoever ignores correction leads others astray. Love this. This is what a leader thinks. A leader says, okay, I can't ignore correction when it's a godly correction because not only will I forfeit the blessing that could be mine, but I will lead others astray because people follow, right? So that makes sense. It kind of takes a weird thing like you, you ignore correction, but you are leading others astray, right? Because if you're on an ill-fated path, those who follow you, because you've resisted, do you see? Yeah. That's why a leader wants to be corrected because they don't want to harm not only themselves, but people who follow. And, and so the grace in which Apollos receives reveals the depth of character. And so too, the way we respond to a rebuke says something about you and me. Love this verse, Proverbs 9.8. Do not rebuke a mocker or he will hate you. Rebuke a wise man and he will love you. Apollos loved them. Thank you for the courage that it took to get out of your comfort zone. You came in and you did it the right way. I felt very disarmed and very loved and it was easy for me to say, oh man, you're right. Thank you for that. Look at how my life is gonna change because you, you made the effort to speak lovingly into my life. Well, just, I ask myself, it's written here to myself, are you a mocker or are you wise? Yeah. <laughs> All right, moving on. <laughs> oh, I'm so tempted to just talk with you, but I'm not going to do it. All right, uh, so he returns to the synagogue with the rest of the story. Can you imagine him now? Oh, my, oh, my. He just, dynamite. In comes dynamite. Sensing the leading of the Spirit, your text says, verse 27, he wants to go to Corinth. That's Achaia is Corinth. That's where Corinth is. Can you imagine if he resisted them and played that whole thing, you know, your tent makers on Apollos, all right? If he went to Corinth unenlightened, Corinth is the tongue-speaking capital of the world, all right? They, they were so enamored with all the gifts of the Spirit, he would have caused a lot of trouble there. It was God's perfect timing. Godly, humble, loving, gentle, tactful. Priscilla and Aquila, dear, loving couple. Saved Corinth. This dynamo, who could, he could slice and dice them to get with his own version of the gospel, right? And so that didn't happen. They sent him to Corinth and with a letter of recommendation. This is a good thing. You know, when, when people hop around from church to church, uh, they used to. It used to be protocol that you came with a letter. You came with a letter that said, hey, I left in, you know, we didn't agree or we had a problem, but it's resolved. You know, so the one pastor knows, okay, this isn't one trouble coming to another church and all of this. And so here comes the, that's what they used to do. So they had a letter from the elders of Ephesus he walks into the church at Corinth and he says, I have a letter and I'm available for ministry. You guys, if you have a need, 
Here's the letter, and here's what it said. Dynamite with the scriptures. Eloquent with the words. Sharp in his knowledge. Preaches the whole counsel of God. Humble in heart. Takes correction well. Teachable. Nice. Could have read something else. So it says, P.S., open wide your hearts. You guys are in for a treat. Yeah, Paulus, man. We're going to meet him. Patty has met him. I don't know how it all works. You know, I just picture lines and everything. I, I, I don't think the lines work there, you know, but uh, he, uh, she definitely um, uh, has access. Let's say that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your great love. We thank you for these hard truths, Lord. Just, they're just not easy. They, they sound easy, but then in the moment we're corrected, we just get all up in arms. Just help us, Lord, to learn both sides. Lord, how to be gracious like Priscilla and Aquila and how to be humble like Apollos and how to know the difference when it's appropriate or not appropriate, when it's needful and not. In Jesus' wonderful name, we pray, amen. Well, you know what? We didn't have to take communion because we already did, but first service missed out last week, so we served them. But after this message, I just felt like there might be a little bit of cause in our hearts to want to get clean and bring things before the Lord and take communion together. And so we're going to take communion together. Uh, the ushers are getting into place right now. And uh, let me explain how it works so we're all on the same page. The symbol of a meal that signifies the death on the cross on our behalf that brings eternal life to our spirits, much like food keeps us alive. And so the Lord likened it that way to help us understand. Here's how we're gonna do it. If you're a born again Christian, you're welcome to receive these symbols. You'll get the, the bread and the cup. Hold them, wait. And then I'll come back after we sing a song together and then we'll take together the communion. And afterwards we'll sing a song and we'll wrap up the time together. All right. God bless you as you receive. I really love that I personally have a place to go and have my soul cleansed. I'm a sinner. I don't know about you guys, but every day stupid things go through my head. Stupid things come out of my mouth. I do stupid things. I'm not kind or I, I can be rude or whatever. Just like, sorry, you. <laughs> oh, but you know what, folks? To be able to come to God who already knows the whole list. He's got things I don't even have on my list that I should have. To be able to hear him say, I know all of that and I still love you. And that's what this is for. That's what the cross is for. 
There is a fountain filled with blood that flows from Emmanuel's veins and sinners plunge beneath the flood, lose all their guilty stains. Oh, the joy of having a place to go with that burden of guilt and shame. I shouldn't have, I should have, I well, all of this stuff to say, Jesus, plunge me beneath the fountain of forgiveness and grace and mercy. That's what it's there for. Take advantage. A lot of Christians don't like the thought of how sinful they are and they like to pretend like they're basically a good person. And then you miss out on the joy of communion because the list should be this long and it all goes away and you should be this happy. But instead, you come with a little couple things like because you think that God is mad at you if you have a longer list. God already knows. God knows the list is twice as long as you think. And it's okay. I'm not encouraging you to go add to the list. <laughs> I'm just telling you he knows. And, and, and he said, it's finished, it's done, I paid for it. Come and be white as snow. Well, forget about it. The thing that bu is bugging you, bring it to me and we'll wash it clean, white as snow, as good as it never happened. Really? Yeah. Just as good as it never happened. That's a beautiful thing. It's the gospel. So on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, take this and eat it and remember me my love for you. Let's eat together. And after supper, he took the cup and he said, this is the cup of the new covenant, the new arrangement. My promise with you, it's based on what's in the cup. Payment for all your sins. Past, present, future, every last one and forgiveness for it by my blood. Take this cup, drink it, remember me. When he says remember me, remember how much you're loved, how secure your soul is, and how clean you can be. The blood of the Son of God is applied to that thing. Trust me, it dealt with totally, 100%. Let's drink the cup. Let's stand together, closing song. We're going to dismiss with, on a positive note of being loved by God, having his spirit in our hearts, knowing that our sins are forgiven completely, free to live the second part of the message, right? Walking with the spirit and keeping ourselves in step with the love of God. That's just a beautiful combination, the whole gospel. Repenting, listing them out, being cleansed, turning to God, and living the new life. It's awesome. What a privilege we have. What a privilege it is to know the living God through Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Now, Father, just a, a prayer dismissal that we go in your name with your blessing. Thank you, Lord, that we can leave this place touched, and cleansed, and encouraged because of your love. In Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. Don't forget about prayer at the cross if need be. Uh, go Niners, and we'll see you. <laughs> we'll see you Wednesday night. God bless.